Back in the Soviet Union days, remember the old USSR, a couple was walking through St. Petersburg Square and it begins to precipitate. And the husband said, oh, look, honey, it's raining. And she said, that's not rain, that's snow. And he says, no, that's rain. She says, no, it's snow. So they're kind of going back and forth. They don't know how to resolve their conflict. They see across the square, there's Comrade Rudolph. He's a good Communist Party official. He'll have the answer. So they go over, Comrade Rudolph, is this rain or is this snow? And he looks up, he says, that's definitely rain. And the husband looks at the wife and says, see, Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. <laughs> Christmas song. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and we just heard Dreaming of a White Christmas, the music bed on the video we just saw. And those modern Christmas songs are wonderful. Happiness, joy, presents, trees, a mention of Jesus and the shepherds. And that's all fine. It's good. But in this sermon series, Carols of Christmas, we're going deeper. We're pulling back the ancient ones. And as uh, George mentioned earlier, we're talking about Christmas carols. And today, the one we're focusing on is O Come All Ye Faithful. Originally written in the 13th century, we're not exactly sure who the author was, maybe a Portuguese king, it was written in Latin, maybe it was written by a guy named St. Bonaventure or even some anonymous monks. It was translated into English, the guy that gets credit for that is a guy named John Francis Wade, although we're not even sure he did it. It was put to music in the 1700s and has become one of the most popular Christmas carols because it's easy to sing, has vivid imagery, it's been translated into basically every language on earth. And it really has the promise of Christmas, that God became a man so that we could have redemption, so that we could have salvation, forgiveness of our sins. So as we've been doing um, in this sermon series, let's sing the first stanza of O Come All Ye Faithful. Words will be on the lyrics. The ladies will lead us. Kate, why don't you take us away? We'll sing more of it uh, after the sermon. Uh, three lines, three specific words from that um, carol that we want to talk about this morning. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. We want to learn about uh, faith and joy and triumph or victory. Our text for today comes from the New Testament. One simple verse, so you'll be very familiar with it, from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, um, verse 17. God's word for us this morning. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Let's come together in prayer. Lord, we gather around your word as you instruct to hear from it. We're grateful for it. We handle it carefully, but with great freedom and great joy. Let ears be open to hear this morning about faith and joy and victory May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. We pray all this for Christ's sake, and together we all say, amen. So let's think about that. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Point number one for us today is Jesus' birth brings us a new life of faith. 
The birth of Jesus gives us a new life of faith. If I were to ask you what you think faith is, what would you say? Go ahead, yell it out. What do you think faith is? Believing, yeah. Anything else? Trust, those are two good words. That's kind of what I've been hearing all weekend, and those are excellent. But let me um, take it back maybe uh, one step even further back and approach it this way. What if I said to you, faith is a gift? What if I, it's funny to say, but what if I said that the reason you have a relationship with God is his fault? He's the one who did it. We don't bubble it up. We don't kind of conjure it. How am I going to have more faith? Hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. But initially, faith comes from God. It's a gift. The Bible's full of this. Uh, the book of 2 Peter, Peter is beginning his letter, so it's an introduction. He tells people who he is, and then he talks about who he's addressing, and then he goes on. He says, Simon Peter, that's me, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Then he writes to whom he's writing, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, what? Have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter understood it. We need to understand it in 2019. The faith that you have in God is because of him. He generates it. He creates it. He makes it. He gives it to you, and he gives it to you in the Christ child, Jesus in the manger. Philippians 1.29 bolsters this argument, for it has been granted to you. It's been what? It's been granted to you. It's been given to you. What? On behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, trust in him, have faith, but also to suffer for him. In the book of Acts, the apostles heal a man. There's a great miraculous healing, and then they talk about it. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that what? Comes through him, comes from Jesus, that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Martin Luther does a great job, job in talking about faith, as you can imagine. He says, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. This knowledge of and confidence in God's grace makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and with all creatures. When a person is choking or drowning and stops breathing, there's nothing he can do. If he ever wants to have breath again, it's got to be because someone else starts him breathing. That's where we are as spiritual beings. If we expect to have a spiritual breath of life, Christ in us, it's not because in our still unbreathing body, we can decide, I got to start breathing. It's because the Holy Spirit comes in us and the gift of Christ is given to us in faith that we might walk with him, that we might have a right relationship with him. The fact that Jesus was born gives us a new life of faith. So this Advent season, as we're talking about preparation, thinking forward, can't wait for him to come, we're doing some introspection. We're looking at ourselves. Where am I in my walk with Christ? Am I good? Do I need to repent of some stuff, turn away from some stuff, confess to him that I've been in sin, receive forgiveness? As we're walking in this faith activity with him, understand that faith really is a paradox. It kind of is a double-edged sword. Yes, it is a gift from him, but there are ways that we can make it stronger. So if you're following in your outline, you like to fill things in a couple ways that you can make your faith stronger. And the first is in the word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We say it a lot around here because it's that important. Get in God's word, be in God's word, read your Bible, immerse yourself in his truth, be transformed by it, let it grow your faith. Can I be bold with you this morning? If you're wrestling in your faith life, you just wish your faith was stronger, 
I bet you I could go to you. You probably don't read your Bible very much, and you would go, you might be right. Immerse yourself in his truth. It'll change you. It'll transform you. It'll grow your faith. If, your faith wants to, if you want your faith to grow, let her be. Act in faith. Live out faith activities. J- James, the brother of Jesus, says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, if it does not live itself out, it's dead. Someone will say, you have faith? Well, I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, but this is what I'll show you. I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith is kind of a verb. It kind of does stuff. It confesses to God. It walks with him, but it also lives among us, brothers and sisters, and to a dark and watching world. Martin Luther again. Let's go to him one more time this morning. Faith is a divine work in us, which changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different men in heart and spirit, mind and powers, and it brings with it the Holy Spirit. And then he makes our point this morning. It's a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. Your faith is active. That's a way to grow your faith. Be stretched. Take a risk for your faith. If you like your faith to grow, let her see. Ask God to increase it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus gives a pretty challenging and hard teaching on forgiveness, like way above what the apostles thought they were required to forgive. And they're challenged by it. You can see by their expression. You can see by their reaction. Wow, that's, that's too much for me to do, Jesus, this forgiveness thing. So they say to the Lord, increase my faith. If I had more faith, I could do that. Can't do it right now. There's a little guy in the commons before the 945 service, and he had a bag of colored M&Ms, a see-through bag. And I know the kid, and I got on my knee. I said, what co- which is your favorite color M&M? And he goes, the one that's in my mouth. <laughs> the best answer I've heard all day. Candy. He got candy because someone gave him candy. Can we, can we say candy's like faith? If you ask someone to give you candy, they're probably going to give you candy. If you ask God for faith, he's faithful to give it to you to increase your faith. Another way to increase your faith, and we'll concentrate on being baptized, but we can talk about Holy Communion too. These things are called sacraments. The the church calls them sacraments. They're holy mysteries. Two things, instituted by Jesus, three things really, let's back up. Instituted by Jesus, involving elements. In Holy Communion, we'll have bread and wine. In baptism, there'll be water. So instituted by Jesus, two elements, and for the delivery of grace. For some reason, God has chosen to use what we call in the church means of grace. This is a delivery system, a channel, a road, a pipeline, a wire, however you want to think about it, from God to people. He says, this is what I'm going to use to give you grace, to give you faith, to increase the love that you have, to forgive you your sins. Why doesn't God just do it willy-nilly? I don't know, but he chooses to use these means of grace, these sacraments. And baptism, if you're not baptized, you you ought to be baptized. It's not, God, uh, it's not us doing something for God. It's not us showing up and saying, I'm a believer, I'd like to be baptized. It's God doing something for you. It's God washing you clean. The Bible's full of it. There's really no argument. Acts 2, 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus. Well, what's that going to do, Peter? For the forgiveness of your sins. Wait a minute, there's forgiveness in baptism? I thought I was forgiven by, by God's grace. Yes, you are. But what this means is somehow mysteriously God's grace is in this sacrament. God is touching you and claiming you and cleaning you, forgiving you, increasing your faith. 
1 Peter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, does what? Now saves you. Well, if it says that, it must mean somehow God's forgiveness is in this. Grace, faith, mercy. You'll come up at the end of the hour, bread and wine, mysteriously present in those things, God's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. God's growing your grace. God's growing your faith as you come up. Cherish it. Behold it. Number two this morning, Jesus' birth brings us a new life of joy. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The fact that you have joy is a gift. Did a whole sermon on this a couple weeks ago. Remember we talked about it, that joy is not really an emotion or a reaction to circumstance. It's a steady and firm foundation. We talked about it as a train platform. You're standing at a train station and your platform is joy. You are not removed from the platform. Trains come in and out of the station. Some bring happiness, some bring sadness. But you're not removed from joy because it's a position. It's a gift. And God doesn't take it away. There's a Christian author named Max Licato wrote a very helpful book, at least for me. And here's what he says. He says, can you use some genuine joy in your life? A joy which can't be quenched, a peace that can't be taken, a happiness which can't be threatened. He says there is such a joy. It's a sacred delight, a holy gladness. And look, it comes from God and is within your reach. More help from this from Psalm 16, 9 through 11. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful eye see decay. You make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Joy is not um, dependent on circumstance, in the midst of sad times, sorrow, you can still be joyful. The Christ child brings you joy that God came to save us and wash us and make us clean. I read from Max Licato's book a little bit earlier. By the way, it's called The Applause of Heaven. Got a much longer story, too many words for me to put up on the screen, but let me read to you from Max Licato's book, The Applause of Heaven. I have everything I need for joy, Robert said. Amazing, I thought. His hands are twisted, his feet are useless, he can't bathe himself, can't feed himself, can't brush his teeth, can't comb his hair. He can't even put on his own underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech drags on like a worn-out audio cassette. Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car or riding a bike and going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian Academy where he teaches Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or going overseas on five mission trips. Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972, rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. He stationed himself daily in the park. He handed out brochures about Jesus. Over six years, he led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. 
I heard Robert speak recently. I watched men carry him up in his wheelchair to the platform. They laid a Bible open in his lap. I watched his stiff fingers force open the pages. I watched people in the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did the opposite. He held his bent hand in the air and said, I have everything I need for joy. His shirts are held together by Velcro, but his life is held together by joy. Church joy is not a result of circumstance or something that we create for ourselves. Joy is a gift of God. Number three, joyful, uh, come all you faithful, joyful, and we're on triumphant. Jesus' brings, Jesus' birth brings us a new life of victory. And we'll talk about three specific ways that Jesus brings us victory, although there's other ways. The birth of Jesus brings us victory over death, uh, over sin. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We are forgiven of our sins. We have victory over them. I used this image in the sanctuary last week. I'll use it again here. I might even use it again on Christmas Eve because it speaks so clearly to me. Maybe you've seen it. I just became aware of it on social media about nine days ago. On the left is Eve, our first mother in the orange dress. You can see the, a serpent wrapped around her leg, the tempter. She's holding the apple in her right hand, the fruit that drove her to rebellion and pride and sin and, and her original decision that, that let's, let's, speak clear, uh, let's speak clearly about it. It brought a curse upon the whole universe. Everything's broken now. You can see the weight of her decision on her face, heavy, sorrowful, guilty, feels rotten. Next to her is Mary, mother of Jesus. Don't uh, overlook the fact that her foot is squashing the head of the serpent as is prophesied in, in Genesis. Um, her one hand is cupping her sister Eve's face as if to say, I'm here. As if to say, I can't really imagine what it's like to be you, but I know of sin, Eve, and this rotten world has affected me too. But most importantly, Mary is taking Eve's hand and placing it on her swollen belly. She's very pregnant. As if to say to Eve, her sister, it's okay. He's here. He's coming. The one who's going to make this all right, the healer, the correct maker, the forgiver, our hero, our savior, he's about to be born, Eve. He's going to forgive you, and he's going to forgive me, and he's going to forgive all of humanity, and the curse that has wrecked the universe will eventually be overwhelmed by his grace and love and mercy, and things will be made right again. Church, it's okay. God doesn't wink at sin, doesn't think sin is cool. It's okay. He hates sin. But you know what? It's okay because it's been made okay by Jesus, and that's the forgiveness of sins that we have that came and began on Christmas Eve. Now, Jesus being born didn't forgive sin. He did come out of Mary, was born in a regular way, although conceived by the Holy Spirit, we know. So he did God's stuff. He said amazing things. He taught moral uh, lessons. He healed people. Dead people came out of their tombs because of he, he said so. He really did that stuff. The God-man was here, Jesus. And all that's awesome, and we have all those writings, but that's not why he came. He came for a specific mission, to rescue you, to pay your debt, to be the perfect sacrifice of the perfect lamb. He went to the cross instead of you having to die. Now you're saying, Mark, I still die. You die a physical death, but your soul, your spirit continues to live. He paid the price on the cross. The punishment for your sin, for my sin, for Eve's sin, for Mary's sin, 
He paid for it all, and the punishment that he had to withstand killed him. It's not a metaphor. Jesus was really dead. But because he's God, and God even overcomes the grave, we have victory even over death. So he forg- this is a great story, man. This is good for us. We're forgiven of our sins, and now we don't even have to die. Paul says, death, where's your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where's the pain of death? The sting of death is sin, which is forgiven by Jesus. And the power of sin is the law, which the Bible says was perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over sin, we have victory over death, and if you're filling in your outline, we have victory over even temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But look here, church, when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How are you doing with temptation? If you're honest with yourself, uh, uh, sometimes good, sometimes... God will give you a way to endure it to escape. An ancient rabbi says, sin begins as a spider's web and becomes a thick ship's rope. You add to those strands that change the spider's web into that rope, and because you add it one strand at a time, because each one is so thin, you don't realize what you're constructing. Sometimes, on the other hand, the growth seems to happen almost of its own accord, as if you've planted a seed in the soil of your soul by some small act of sin, And without our seeming to attend to it or care for it, it develops and grows into a mighty tree, sometimes an entire forest of sin. Doesn't have to be that way. We are no longer slaves to sin. God provides ways out of temptation if, I suppose, you're willing to look for them, if you're willing to take a deep breath, be filled with the Holy Spirit, find God's specific escape plan or route in that temptation, and allow yourself to live in victory. Psalm 97.10, let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones, and he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. He is the deliverer. We started our discussion this morning with the hymn, O Come All You Faithful. Talked about being faithful, joyful, and triumphant or, or victorious. And then we sing, O come to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. That's awesome. Come and behold, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That's what John the baptizer said. Okay, behold him. I think I know what that means. Like, take it in. Like, here he is. Well, now what? Next line of the hymn. Oh, come, let us adore him. Would you worship him this Advent, this Christmas? Truly worship him? Be overwhelmed by the, by the enormity of God. His great love for you kind of presses down on you and affects you in your humanity. Your humanity doesn't even have a way to react, so you tremble, you weep. Would you adore him this Christmas? Would you praise him? Would you focus on him? Would you think about him? Would you think, think through him? See, see the world through, through um, the lenses of Christ. In the morning, wake up and thank him for the night's sleep that he gave you and the day that's ahead. In the evening, thank him for the day that's just about to end and the night that you'll enter into Worship and adore him. 
three next steps at the bottom of your worship folder. Things to think about this week. Would you this week connect with God this week by reading through the Christmas story? Reacquaint yourself with, with the account given in uh, Luke 2. It's several different places in the Bible. This is the one you'll be most familiar with. Gosh, if you're a fast reader, this will take you two or three minutes. If you take a little more time, five or six minutes. It's not a big assignment. Number two today, express the joy that you have in Christ. Express it to him and express it to others. And number three for us, worship God. Think about what it means to worship, to focus on him, to adore him, to be in his presence, to appreciate him. Worship him in your mind and with your heart. Worship God with your intentions. Worship God with your actions. George, would you come up and pray for us as we move on to the next, uh, next part of our worship? Thanks, Mark. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of Scripture. Lord, may it continue to sink into us. May we soak it in. May it continue to mold us and shape us to be your children, your disciples, ones filled with grace and full of forgiveness. That may we have joy that we expressed back to you, but also to one another. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Amen.